0: Welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirshner. I'm the lead minister here at GCC and I am so glad that you've decided to join us today. Glendale Christian Church is all about discipleship. Our mission is to make disciples. We will follow the Lord's example and make disciples. We will follow the Lord's command and make disciples. And everything we do here at GCC will be in service to that mission. Our vision is to be Father willed, Christ compelled, and Spirit led. We want God to direct us, to empower us, to fuel us. A disciple is a radical, come what may, all in follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The process of discipleship involves three different aspects invitation, transformation, and reduplication. All of us were invited to follow the Lord, and once we accept that invitation, transformation begins transformation affects our head our hearts and our hands as we grow in our knowledge of God express our worship to God and render service to God we who are being transformed continue the process in others by inviting them to follow Jesus and participating with God in their transformation through participation in church In order to understand what participation in church ought to look like, we need to understand what God values within this concept of discipleship. For what God values, we will value. One of the things that God values is knowledge. God values my knowledge, so I will grow my knowledge, I will act upon my knowledge, and I will share my knowledge. Importantly, each one of us must understand and affirm and then declare for ourselves, about ourselves, that God values our individual knowledge. God does not merely value knowledge. He values your knowledge. It's not good enough that someone in the church has a deep knowledge about God. It's not good enough that the ministers on staff have a deep knowledge about God. God wants it to be that we all have a deep and profound knowledge of God. Each of us must confidently say, God values my knowledge, for each and every one of us is called to be a Father-willed, Christ-compelled, Spirit-led disciple-maker. I like to make disciples by inspiring people to think correctly and creatively about God's stuff. Since transformation involves our mind, or our thoughts, or our thinking, and since God values my knowledge, it's part of my disciple-making mission to inspire people to think correctly and creatively about God's stuff. One of my favorite ways to creatively connect people to correct God's stuff is to talk about comic books and superheroes. And my favorite superhero has a very clearly defined mission and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way? Superman fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. It's never-ending because human nature has fallen. No matter how many times Superman saves the day, another day and another set of problems is just around the corner. Superman must tirelessly advocate for truth because people prefer lies. Superman must tirelessly advance justice because people prefer wickedness and unfairness. Superman must tirelessly promote the American ideal of Judeo-Christian based tolerance and freedom because people prefer hatred and oppression. Superman fights a never ending battle. I, too, fight a never-ending battle. The battle I wage is not against crooks or bad guys or supervillains. No, I wage a never-ending battle against intellectual and moral foolishness of all kinds, which sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And as Christians, we all must take up arms against a raging sea of arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, And we must demolish them so that the knowledge of God may flow freely to the world around us. The war for souls is very, very real. The enemy is firmly entrenched and fully intent on keeping people away from the knowledge of God. The enemy knows that the knowledge of God is a necessary aspect of the transformation that God desires in our lives. And so the enemy will do whatever it takes to keep people from knowing God. Battles between those advancing the knowledge of God and those advancing foolishness, they happen all around us. Not everybody may see these battles, but make no mistake, they are real. Such battles occur every single day at schools, even here in Springfield, where those made in the image of God are divided by diversity trainers according to the color of their skin. Battles like this occur every day on university campuses around the nation as professors advance worldviews that are wholly antithetical to Christianity and seek to marginalize the Christian faith. Battles between those advancing the knowledge of God and those advancing foolishness occur all around us, in the media, on social media, in the workplace. They occur in every single aspect of society. We are at war, but the war We fight is not fought with tanks or bombs. No, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Mine is a never ending battle against intellectual and moral foolishness of all kinds because moral foolishness and intellectual foolishness comes from a lack of knowing God. Arguments and pretensions are continuously set up against the knowledge of God and the result of these arguments and pretensions is even more intellectual and moral foolishness. The Bible describes a fool as one who lacks the moral knowledge of God and as one who lacks the intellectual knowledge of God. Consider the Bible's description of the fool. Psalm 14.1 says this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. This is in fact the verse that St. Anselm quotes in his classic proslogion as he goes on to devote himself to the knowledge of God and in fact is the first human being ever to discover the ontological argument for the existence of God. Notice the connection between intellectual foolishness, there is no God, and moral foolishness. They prefer vile, wicked deeds, no one does good. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 23 says that a fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. Notice how we have a juxtaposition between wickedness and wisdom. The fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. They have moral bankruptcy, and this is juxtaposed against the one who delights in wisdom. If you delight in the wisdom of God, foolishness intellectual and foolishness moral does not appeal to you, but Proverbs 14:7 warns us to stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. The deficiency of the fool is in his lack of intellectual and moral knowledge of God. The remedy for such foolishness is the knowledge of God. So as disciple-makers, we must advance the knowledge of God, grow in our knowledge of God, share our knowledge of God, act upon the knowledge of God. In fact, growing in the knowledge of God is central to pleasing God Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 tells us that we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God we want to please the Lord Thus, we want to bear fruit in every good work, and we want to grow in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God is, in fact, itself, a good work that bears fruit all around us. Clearly, God values knowledge. And every one of us should say, God values my knowledge. And how do we know that God values each and everyone's individual knowledge of Him? Because God wants all people to be saved and beliefs and knowledge are tied to salvation consider 1st timothy chapter 2 verse 4 which says god wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth and then compare that with acts 16:31 believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved this connection is remarkable God wants everyone to be saved, and the way you're saved is to believe in the Lord Jesus. When you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are committed to the truth about God. You're committed to the knowledge of God. God values my knowledge because my beliefs and my mind are central to the transformation that God desires in my discipleship. In fact, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve of what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transformation starts in the mind. If we want to grow in our discipleship, if we want to be transformed by God Almighty, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It starts in the mind. It doesn't stop in the mind, but it starts there. And so we can declare that God values my knowledge. So I will grow my knowledge. That's an appropriate response to God's desire. If he values my knowledge, I ought to grow my knowledge. And since he values my knowledge, I will also act upon my knowledge. Having the intellectual knowledge of God does nothing unless we act upon that knowledge. And since God values my knowledge, I will share my knowledge with others. So let's tackle this first aspect. I will grow my knowledge. Since God values my knowledge, I will grow my knowledge in terms of both breadth and depth. We need to go deeper in our knowledge of God's stuff, and we need to get broader in our knowledge of God's stuff. Scripture tells us as much. Consider what Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is a very difficult thing to do because we are continually bombarded with earthly things. And some earthly things must require our attention, but we have to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. So if your mind is set on political things rather than things above, your mind is not in the right place. If your mind is set on sporting things rather than things above, your mind is not set on the right place. If your mind is set on social media or on news rather than things above, your mind is not set on the right thing. Now, make no mistake, we have to use the things of the world. My mission is to inspire people to think correctly and creatively about God's stuff. My favorite way to connect people to God's stuff is to take the things of earth, following the examples of Paul, and connect them to God's stuff. Did you know that the Bible is like a sword? Did you know that the Christian is like a farmer? Did you know that the Christian is like a soldier? We take things that people know and understand about the world that interests them and we connect it to God's stuff. And this is how you can set your mind on things above while still paying attention to earthly things. But if all you do is pay attention to earthly things, that's where your mind is set. Use the things of earth as a means to talk about God's stuff. Do not use the things of earth as an end in themselves. And yet some of us are guilty of doing that. We must repent for Mark 12, 30 tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We're not supposed to love the Lord our God with just a tiny part of our mind. Just, if just a little tiny part of our mind is carved out for God's stuff and we can think about God's stuff with just a small portion of our mind, that that's not what scripture calls us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your mind. Some people tell me, Andrew, I, I, I just can't study God's stuff the way you can. You're, you're a special breed. You love school, you love study, you really love it. I don't even like to read books. I, you, don't, don't give me all this knowledge of God's stuff. Yes, 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 you can learn. I know that you can learn. Some people learn by reading, some people learn by listening, some people learn by watching, some people learn by doing. And so, I would encourage you to read a book, listen to a podcast. I would encourage you to take a class or teach a class. If you do those things, you can grow in knowledge. Now, I bet everyone can remember the phone number they had when they were 10 years old. Do it right now. You can remember all kinds of sports statistics. You can remember who was this guy's vice president and who lost that election. You can remember all kinds of lyrics to songs. Don't tell me that you can't know all kinds of things about God's stuff. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But what are the things that we should focus on? What is the God stuff that you're so keen to tell us? Well, there are ten essential Christian doctrines. And if you spent your life devoting your mind to the study of these ten areas, you would never run out of things to study. First is the nature of God. As Christians, we believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, eternal, necessary, and triune. He's the master of heaven and earth. God is the perfect being. And if we devote ourselves to the nature of God, we could study that just alone, forever. I'm compelled to study that because part of the nature of God is God's being triune. And I love the Trinity. The Trinity is my favorite thing in all of God's stuff to discuss because I believe that it is at the heart of everything we do. After all, we seek to be Father-willed, Christ-compelled, and Spirit-led. And yet there's a lot of people who don't understand the Trinity. There's a lot of Christians who don't understand the Trinity, and I hear well-intended Christians tell me things like, Andrew, it's a a mystery. We have to punt to mystery, and I say, you can punt to mystery on fourth down. It's first down. Run a play. Run two. Run three. Exhaust your mind and think about it. And so I've devoted my adult life to the study of the Trinity. I wrote my nearly 200-page Ph.D. dissertation on the logic and explanation of the Trinity. I want to write books on the Trinity. The Trinity consumes my thoughts because it's the key to everything. Every single doctrine is unlocked by the nature of God and His being triune. And when people tell me, I don't understand how God is three and one. If He's one, He's one, but not three. One and three aren't the same. And so I devoted myself to going, to getting a master's degree and a PhD in philosophy so that I could better understand the ideas of concept of identity concept or the idea of composition as identity and explain to people how God is one being but three persons. And since beings and persons are not the same thing, we can refer to God as one and refer to God as three because when we say that God is one, we're saying he's one being, one God. And when we say that God is three, we're saying that he's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all comprise the one being who is God. And I have the philosophical machinery at my disposal to explain this to anyone willing to listen to reason. We must think about creation by God. There are some Christians who think that God created a long time ago and some Christians who think that God created a short time ago. But all Christians have to agree that God created it, and the best thing he created was human beings in his image. And because we're made in his image, we have freedom and responsibility. But we used our responsibility poorly, and we exercised our freedom to sin and rebel against God. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, and that's the study of Christology. The fact that Jesus Christ is both 100% human and 100% God, and in the same person, he has two distinct and complete natures, not confused, not divided, but he's both human and God so that he can live perfectly for us. And that leads us to the atonement. This perfect son of God, son of man, died upon the cross so that we don't have to die upon the cross. And the study of the atonement, being at one with God, being right with God, understanding that Jesus paid your penalty so that you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin, you could study that forever and not run out of things to study. You can think about the ransom theory, the satisfaction theory, the penal substitution theory, the moral exemplar theory, the Christus Victus theory of the atonement, and all have glorious aspects And if you can think about these things, you can better relate what Jesus did on the cross to the people who need the truth explained to them. And we know that the cross worked because of the resurrection. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he vindicated and validated the resurrection of the Son of God, or the uh, sacrifice of the Son of God. And we know that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can be saved. The Spirit indwells us, inspires the Bible, and convicts us of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He reminds us of all things that Jesus has taught, and one of those things that Jesus is coming back, and when he does, he's going to judge everyone. Jesus Christ is the judge, and when he's done judging, and when he's done giving everyone a resurrection body, every single person alive will be divided into one of two categories, those who spend eternity with him and those who spend eternity apart from him. Heaven and hell are very real destinations, but we don't have to worry about judgment. We don't worry about judgment because we love God, and we understand that perfect love casts out fear, and fear has to do with judgment. But we who are in Christ know that we have already been justified from the penalty of our sins. And so I don't fear judgment. I long for judgment. I long for it because I understand salvation, which has the aspects of justification, sanctification, and glorification. Jesus died for the penalties of my sins. The Holy Spirit conforms me to the image of Christ so that the power of sin is less in my life and I'm waiting for the resurrection body that will free me from the very presence of sin. And until Christ comes back to give me a resurrection body, the church has a job to do, and you know what it is by now, to make disciples. We're going to go to the world and we're going to make disciples and we're going to teach the world everything that Jesus taught. We're going to baptize people and we're going to show the world what Jesus is all about, and we're going to do it imperfectly because the church is comprised of human beings, and therefore the church is never perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect local church, but all good local churches serve a perfect God, and I know that God is perfect because I've read His perfect Word. His perfect word has explained all of this to me and it is through the Bible alone that I understand the sufficiency of Scripture for my understanding of God, given through reason so that we can explain the truth to the world around us. I know that there are ways you can learn and you need to grow in your learning of God stuff. So here's the first objective for the day. Grow in your knowledge of the gospel and of Christian doctrine. Grow in your knowledge of God and his stuff. Grow in the knowledge of the gospel. Grow in your knowledge of Christian doctrine. So here's what I want you to do. Read a book, listen to a podcast, or take a class. I have a book list, a podcast list, and free places to get high-level Bible college education, and I'm gonna post this on the internet today, and what I would love for you to do is tell me what good books or podcasts you like to listen to so that more people can be benefited. Let me recommend that you read J.P. Moreland's Love the Lord Your God, Love Your God With All Your Heart, or William Lane Craig's Reasonable Faith, or Lee Strobel's Case for Faith. There are great books for kids that I've listed out and great podcasts, and did you know that you could go to Ozark Christian College, Dallas Theological Seminary, or an online university called Biblical Training and receive free Bible college classes to grow in your knowledge? There is no excuse not to grow in your breadth or death of God stuff. It's free. It's available. We have more information than anyone has ever had in the history of the world. And yet so many Christians are content to be ignorant and apathetic, full of unbelief and inaction. May it never be true of us. For God values my knowledge. So I'll grow in my knowledge, but I will also act on my knowledge. I will also act on my knowledge. It's very important that we act on our knowledge because to enhance my discipleship, I must understand that it's not just about intellectual assent. Discipleship is about having a relationship with God transformation and the transformation that God desires, sure, it starts in the head, but it doesn't stop in the head. It has to go to the heart and the hands. It has to go beyond merely an academic pursuit. Knowledge is necessary, but it is not sufficient for Christlikeness. Knowledge must be acted upon for it to have any value at all. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8:1 that knowledge puffs up while love builds up. This is why knowledge must be acted upon. We must not merely know about God, we must love God. We must not merely have the knowledge of God's stuff, we must love God's people. Head without heart and hands is useless arrogance. And I've seen people like this, I know it to be true, because I've camped out inside the ivory tower. I've lived inside the ivory tower. For a decade, I've been there, and I've studied, and I've acquired knowledge of God, and I recognize that the importance of picking up a book is supreme. And yet sometimes, we need to put down the book and pick up the basin and the towel. For if we grow in our knowledge of God, but we do not grow in our service or worship of God, then we are not growing in the discipleship that God has for us. Faith requires proper belief and action. James 2 18 and 19 says, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. We must all have head knowledge. It's important to believe with our heads, but even the demons believe true things about God stuff. God expects that our belief goes beyond head belief and it goes to the heart that's accompanied by appropriate action. I know this because the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, says these words If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. The belief we have must be beyond head, it must be a heartfelt belief. This is important. Believe in your heart. And so, I want you to act upon your knowledge. And this is the second objective for the day act upon your knowledge. Worship God. If you grow in the knowledge of God, you must grow in your expression towards God. You must worship God. And in fact, next week's sermon is going to be all about God Values My Worship. And our very own worship minister, Derek Bishop, who's about to finish his master's degree in preaching, is going to preach us a masterful sermon about worship. You'll hear much more about this. And the week following that, I'm going to be preaching about service because God values my service also. So if you take the knowledge of God, act on it in worship and in service. So serve in two areas. First of all, serve the church. There's lots of needs here in the church. We need help with kid stuff. We need help with our safety team. Our safety team does not have enough people right now. And if you are being called by God because you are a sheepdog kind of guy, we need your help on the safety team. We need more people to serve in the kids' area, more people to serve in the areas of the church, but we need to go beyond the walls of the church, and we need to serve the world. We need to get out of the church and serve the world, for if we have the knowledge of God's stuff, that will compel us to share that with the people all around us and serve the people all around us. Act upon your knowledge this week. For God values my knowledge, so I will grow my knowledge, act upon my knowledge, and I will share my knowledge. I'll share my knowledge with others. We who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ have the knowledge that can transform lives. People outside of Christ stand in dire need of salvation. The need of salvation is the single greatest need that any human being could ever have. And as Christians, we know how to connect others to salvation. Listen to what Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. The power of salvation and of knowing God is the key to addressing the problems in people's lives and we must share the gospel with people. Don't be ashamed of it. There are some Christians who claim not to be ashamed of the gospel, but when I encourage them to actually share the gospel, they don't share the gospel. And it makes me wonder, why not? Why is it that some Christians don't share the gospel? I think that there's a subtle shame that comes with the gospel because people don't want to be attacked intellectually or morally. And you are attacked intellectually if you share the gospel. You're attacked morally if you share the gospel. You're attacked intellectually because people will say things like, oh, you can't really believe that stuff, can you? And they will think that you are uneducated, that you're not smart. And part of the reason that I went to school for as long as I did to get two master's degrees and a PhD, part of the reason that Chris has two master's degrees, part of the reason that Derek's getting his master's degree is so that some people in the church can say, you know what? There's a whole lot of smart Christians out there. And I don't have to just bank on J.P. Moreland or William Lane Craig or Mark Moore or N.T. Wright or John MacArthur or any of the great dead Christian theologians. There are people alive right now. In fact, there are people at my church who are really smart, and they believe in God's stuff, and that inspires me to grow in my knowledge of God's stuff. That's what we want. That's what we want and we can teach you, we can teach you how to defend and explain the gospel intellectually. I love apologetics. Chris loves apologetics. We can, we can share that knowledge with you. You wanna learn how to defend the gospel when somebody says it's fake? Oh, we can teach you that real quick, fast, and in a hurry, and it'll be fun, too, because the subject of apologetics is explaining the faith when people have questions and defending the faith when people have objections. And so when people set up arguments and pretensions against the knowledge of God, our job is to demolish them, destroy them, and take every thought captive for Christ. And we can help you to do that. Oh, but I think there are some Christians who are ashamed to share the gospel because they're afraid of being attacked morally. Oh, wait, you're telling me that sin is sin and that God defines sin and that sin actually exists? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Well, don't you wish that God didn't... No, no, no. I don't wish anything other than how it is for God's will is perfect. I want to be a Father-willed, Christ-compelled, Spirit-led disciple-maker. I'm not going to question God and say, well, I wish He didn't call that a sin. I love His Word and what He calls sin is sin. And sin is the great separator, but there is an even greater solution. His mercy is greater. His love is greater. His gospel is greater. And I don't care if the world is going to call me morally bankrupt because I don't think that little boys should go into little girls' bathrooms. I don't care if the world calls me morally bankrupt because I say that sex should only happen between a biological husband and a biological wife. Yeah, that's exactly what I think because that's exactly what the word tells me to believe. And I don't care if the world calls me morally bankrupt for it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The biggest need that people have is the need for salvation, and we have the gospel, so let's share it. But there are other needs that people have. Oh, yes, there are other needs that people have. And outside of salvation itself, there are four primary needs that every single human needs to have met. People will spend their entire lives trying to find a way to meet these needs. And in fact, if you don't meet these needs, problems result. I'm willing to say this, every single problem you have, every single problem you have can be related back to perceived or actual instability in these four areas. The areas of human need outside of salvation are these, acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. We all long to be accepted. Acceptance is a really, really big deal. Acceptance is when somebody loves you and chooses you and wants to be with you and says, I welcome you to my presence. We all long to be accepted. Identity is who we are. Who we are. And who we are really, really matters. And people are struggling to figure out who they are in this world. Security is a big, big problem. Security is a big problem, it's a big need because if you're hungry, you're not going to listen. If you're homeless, it's gonna be harder for you to think about God's stuff because you're thinking about how to get out of the cold. Security is a big deal, and so is purpose. Purpose is a big deal. What am I supposed to do? Why do I exist? Why am I here? And we know full well the problems that exist in this world, and they can be related back to these four. The reason that we act out in addiction and different things is oftentimes because we don't have acceptance. That was true in my life. I felt a lack of acceptance, and I turned to sinful and bad places to try to find it. We identify ourselves by our job or by our relationships mostly. Oh, I'm the preacher. Oh, I'm, I'm the husband of Kim, and I'm the, the father of Kate, Jenna, Allie, and Clark. We like to tell people who we are based on our relationships or based on our job. And security. Oh, that's entirely important. We need to have financial security, emotional security, physical security. All of these things are important. And purpose. Ask anybody who's come back from serving in the armed forces about purpose. The world is totally upside down. You leave a place that's full of order to a place that's totally chaotic and the world is flipped upside down. Ask anybody who's retired from teaching or nursing about their identity and we feel, or their their purpose, and they feel this sense of loss, like what am I supposed to do? But we who are in Christ know the answers. We know that God accepts us, not because of the things we have done, but because of what He has done. We know that our identity is not just in our job or in our relationship. We are children of God, we are Christians. And we know that security is ours. Security is ours. Even if the banking institutions crumble, even if the world goes to war, we are secure because we know that God is going to take care of us and we trust his promises. And the purpose that we have is to glorify God by knowing him by knowing him and growing in our knowledge, acting on that knowledge, and sharing that knowledge with others. And if we don't have these needs met, here's what happens. If people don't trust God to meet their needs, they turn to the humans closest to them and expect them to meet those needs. It's called the principle of transference. And we transfer the expectation of needs met from God to people. And that's why so many marriages end in divorce, and that's why so many relationships and families break up, and that's why so many people hold grudges against others, because we have this expectation of a need being met, and when it's not, we're full of resentment. Why do you think cults or gangs are so successful? A cult and a gang is similar in this way. They all seek to provide identity or acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. Come join this cult and you have a new group of friends and here's your identity. You're now this and the security is that we're all in this together and the purpose is that we can go fight that other gang or tell the world that they're wrong. That's why gangs and cults are so popular and that's why the church has such power because we can also talk about acceptance, identity, security, and purpose, but we can talk about them in a more glorious and godly way and so here's what I want you to do. The final objective for the day. I want you to share your knowledge. I want you to present the gospel this week to somebody. Present the gospel. Maybe you present it even to somebody who doesn't believe the gospel. That'd be best. But if all you know is Christians, present it to somebody who is in Christ as a practice so that you can go out and share it with somebody who needs it. Present the gospel. Do you know how to present the gospel? I've given hints of it right here in the sermon. You can present the gospel, but I also want you to go beyond that. I want you to explain how God meets the human needs of acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. You might say something like this. This is what I say when I explain those. I am accepted by God because I have accepted his saving grace through faith. My acceptance is not because of my actions, but entirely because of God's actions, May I never give a foothold to ignorance, unbelief, apathy, or inaction, for these make me prone to wander from the God who lovingly accepts me. God loves me so much that the Father sent the Son to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for my sins and to be resurrected for my justification. God loves me so much that God the Spirit indwells me and makes me more like Jesus Christ. And nothing can separate me from the loving acceptance that God has for me. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers of any kind, neither height nor depth, nothing is able to separate me from the loving acceptance of God. The penalty for my sins has already been paid in full. God accepts me. I am not identified by my sin any longer. My identity goes far deeper than any human role I have. I am a father-willed, Christ-compelled, spirit-led, adopted son of God, a co-heir with Christ, a spirit-filled, spirit-fueled, radical follower of the Lord Jesus. In other words, I am a Christian. My security is not in this world, but it is in the Lord. I bank on God's eternal promises, not on the money in my bank account. My security is not in the dwelling that protects me from the elements, but in my being a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. No human armory or politician makes me secure, but only the armor of light that God gives me. And I will don this armor every day and shine brightly in a world full of darkness for my purpose is to know God and bring God glory by acting on that knowledge. My general purpose is to know God and bring Him glory and my specific purpose is to inspire people to think correctly and creatively about God's stuff, to make disciples. I'm engaged in a never-ending battle against intellectual and moral foolishness of all kinds. And I am called to take captive every thought to Christ and to knock down every wall of pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And I will never stop. This world may try to take my freedom, but even on the way to jail and in the cell, I will never stop proclaiming the truth about God's stuff. This world may try to take my life, but so long as I have breath in my lungs, I will never stop preaching the gospel. I will never stop building up the case for Christianity, for I live to explain the faith. I will never stop defending Christianity, for I live to defend the truth. I will always stand for truth. I will never stop standing for truth. I will never stop standing for the gospel. I will never stop standing on the foundational beliefs of our faith. But I can't do it alone. So will you stand with me? Will you stand with me against a tide of ignorance and unbelief? Will you stand with me against the tide of apathy and inaction? Will you stand with me for the truth about God? Will you stand with me and love God with all your mind? Will you stand with me confident in God's acceptance of you? Will you stand with me confident in your identity in Christ? Will you stand with me confident in the security that he promises? Will you stand with me confident clinging to the purpose that you have in Christ? Will you stand with me confident on the foundational beliefs of our faith? If so, I want you to stand with me. Wherever you are, if you're sitting in the chairs in front of me, if you will stand with me, stand with me. If you're watching at home on the internet, sitting on your couch, and you're willing to stand with me, stand up with me now. I want you to stand with me if you're committed to growing in knowledge, acting on your knowledge, and sharing your knowledge. Standing up with me physically indicates to everyone around us your willingness to stand up with me spiritually. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for being the perfect God. Thank you for your perfect word. Thank you for your perfect plan. Thank you for making us in your image able to reason and to know you. I pray that everyone hearing my voice, that each and every one would confidently and personally declare these words, God values my knowledge. God values my knowledge, so I will grow in my knowledge. I will act upon my knowledge. I will share my knowledge. We believe the truth about you, God. We believe in you, God. We love you, God. But may you never merely have to take our words for it. Please see it in our actions. Spirit, if there's anyone here who needs to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, prompt them to come forward during this final song and confess their faith. We can baptize them today. If there's anyone here who needs a church home, prompt them to come forward and place their membership with this body. If there's anyone here who just needs prayer or encouragement, prompt them to come forward and talk to and pray with Chris or with myself. We believe. We believe. Oh Lord, we believe.